Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. It's the first day of the 2024 legislative session. So what can we expect from lawmakers this year? Here to give us some predictions and analysis are our own Steph Machado and Jim Hummel, host of A Lively Experiment on Rhode Island PBS. We'll talk after a quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org weekly. That's ripbs.org weekly. Welcome back. We're here with my colleagues Steph Machado and Jim Hummel, host of A Lively Experiment on Rhode Island PBS. Happy New Year, Steph and Jim. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Ed. So we're taping on Tuesday morning, and the 2024 General Assembly session will begin later today at 4 p.m. up at the State House. So let me ask each of you, what's the biggest question you have about what the legislature will or won't do before it wraps up its work at the end of June? Steph? Ed, I'm very curious about what's going to happen with health care spending. Anyone who's tried to get a primary care doctor in recent years, tried to get in with a specialist, knows about the shortages in health care. I've covered extensively the, the crisis in early intervention, children with developmental delays who can't get into speech pathologists and other services that they need. There is this massive amount of money that would be needed, like $45 million just to start, to increase what's called the Medicaid reimbursement rates. I don't want people to turn off the podcast because that sounds really boring, but this is the money that is paid to these providers, and they say that they need more of it, and it's tens of millions of dollars. I'm very curious to see what lawmakers are going to do about this during this session. I have a larger, it's kind of a 30,000-foot view. Where is the budget going to settle in this year as the uh, the ARPA money and other things are, are starting to filter out? Joe Sicarci's already said, you know, don't get your hopes up. Governor McKee, in a debate with Ashley Kalis, they asked him, the budget was $9.4 billion like five years ago. Now it's $14 billion. And, you know, you have to run all the federal money through it. So when that disappears, what's it going to settle in at? Because clearly the budgets we have now are unsustainable. He said during that debate it would be $11, 12000000000 billion. Well, it came out at 14 last year. So we're going to know pretty soon. He's going to release his budget within the next month. As the ARPA money begins to disappear, where is it going to be? Or are they going to keep piling in all this stuff that they like to get every year? Yeah, it's true. A lot of that federal funding is about to dry up. 
So advocates have been calling for a repeal or an overhaul of the Law Enforcement Officers' Bill of Rights ever since George Floyd was killed by Minneapolis police in 2020. They say the current law makes it too difficult to address police misconduct in Rhode Island. So, Steph, you've been following this. Is this the year Rhode Island finally revamps Leobor? I think so, although the leaders have said that for several years in a row now, and they have always fumbled at the end of the session. Both the Senate president and um, House Speaker Shikarchi say that their respective chambers are going to pass a Leobor reform bill this year. I think my question is, will it go far enough to sort of qualify as an overhaul to please the advocates who, frankly, a lot of them want a repeal of this law? That's and that's not, not going to happen. That is right. not going to happen. But will it be so incremental but keep, for, for example, the Ruggiero bill that happened at the end of last session that Senator Quezada, the lead sponsor, took her name off of, she said it didn't go far enough. It changed the makeup of the Leobor panel and it changed several other things. But the, the basic premise that a police officer who has done something wrong, like excessive use of force, cannot be fired unless they have a Leobor hearing and it can take many, many years and a very expensive taxpayer dollars to get there. That sort of premise stayed in place, but there were tweaks made around the edges. So we'll see, I think, how far it goes. But I think it's likely that there's going to be a bill that comes out. But they've upped the ante. In their year-end interviews, the House and Senate leadership said they want a bill right out at the beginning of the session. Now, the, the only major bill that I can remember ever passing before all the bargaining that goes on is the truck tolls. Yep. Back in 2017, yep. it was kind of left over. So Joe Sicarci, the House Speaker, has said, we're going to get this through. Yeah. What I haven't heard, they're talking about the makeup of the panel and that police chiefs can talk a little more about it. Where the rubber's going to hit the road is the suspension. The most yeah. penalty you can give out is two days suspension. They've talked about 14 days. They've talked about before 10 days Leobor before Leobor yep. kicks in. And that would wipe out a lot of hearings, I think. If, if a chief could suspend somebody for 10 days, they would feel okay about it short of the firing. So I haven't heard details about that, yeah. and I think that's what it's going to come down to. The sticking point, though, last year was the makeup of the panel. They could not agree. Because they wanted civilians expanded could, to five, Yeah, right? or six. Should it be a judge? Should it be someone on the Human Rights Commission? Should it be someone from the Nonviolence Institute? They couldn't agree on who should be on that panel. Steph, you mentioned that Senator Kazada took her name off of it. Whose bill is it now? Well, Senate President Ruggiero says he's going to be the lead sponsor of the bill in the Senate. So that's going to help, right? Yes, and I don't—in the House, it, it will likely be either Representative Hull or Representative Batista. I think they're still working out what's going to be in the bill and who's going to put their name and on it. And it was the Senate that did the legwork. They had a year-long commission. They had 12 people on it, including Jim Vincent, former NAACP chair. They had uh, the police people on it, and they issued a pretty lengthy report. So it's really the Senate that has driven this over the past couple of years. So let's talk about guns. Attorney General Peter Nerone and others will push again for a ban on assault-style weapons. Will that happen this year, Jim, do you think? You know, it all depends on the leadership. Steph, you had talked to Joe Sicarci, and we've seen some articles with Senate President Ruggiero. I've read, he said, we don't want to be in a vacuum here in Rhode Island. I think the gun control people would take issue with that. But he says, you know, if you can go to some other state and we're an outlier, he wants to see a national ban, which, of course, is never going to happen. So I think that's an early indicator. I don't know that he has much appetite. Yeah, Steph, when we talked to Senate Majority Leader Ryan Pearson, he said he was going to push 
for a safe storage bill this year. So is, is that going to be key? Do you think that'll go forward this year? Yeah, I think that's more likely than an assault weapons ban. I think every single year I've been to the big, you know, rally that they have with Moms Demand Action to push for an assault weapons ban, and it, and it never goes anywhere. Senate President Ruggiero is the primary holdup. And again, like, like Jim said, he says this should be a federal assault weapons right. ban, not something that just Rhode Island does. So the state's housing crisis remains a major issue this year. So, Steph, do you expect the legislature to pass a law streamlining the process for creating accessory dwelling units, granny flats, in other words? I definitely expect the House to pass All this right. law. It's a top priority of House Speaker Joe Shikarchi. It did not pass the Senate last year out of concern that these accessory dwelling units essentially could get out of hand, that you could build a structure on your property that's you know, basically just as big as your house, concerns that they would be turned into Airbnbs, even though that was prohibited. You know, and the Globe did a huge story on this. They went out to California and they looked at, they don't call them granny flats out there. I think that may be a Rhode <laughs> Island term. in-law apartment. Granny yeah. flats may be specific to Rhode Island. But they talked about the accessory dwelling units and how that's really helped in California. And, you know, can that work in Massachusetts? Because Massachusetts and Rhode Island are probably in the same boat in terms of housing stock and lack of it. Look, $250 million they allocated. Very little of that's out the door. Joseph Carchi has said you need a year for some of these laws to kick in. They did this week some of the laws. Mm-hmm. So let, I think 2024 is going to be the real year to see. Plus, Stephen Pryor's asking for 100, the housing secretary, $100 million bond. Yeah. I mean, uh, how yeah, what do you money, make of that? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, money money only goes so far. you got to, you got to streamline the regulation. You have to give incentive to builders. There, You know, you have to have workers to construct these things. Just throwing money at a at a problem doesn't always work. And something I think is interesting is Speaker Shikarchi says housing is his top priority this session. The Senate leaders, when when we spoke to them, Ed, along with um, our colleague Dan McGowan, were saying, you know, this is a year to monitor the money that we've already expended for housing and the laws that we already passed that haven't even gone into effect yet. So they seemed more, they were hedging on whether there would be more housing legislation this year and more money for housing this year. So there's a little bit That's of That's going to be the big chit at the end of mm-hmm. when Sicarchi and Ruggiero get together and maybe they'll have McKee listening in from the outside of the door. <laughs> um, when they decide to to get together, it's going to, that's going to be, Sicarchi's yeah. going to go, okay. The horse or, no, he's going to say, what do I need to give up or, or to get your approval here. Jim, uh, let me ask you about the Cranston Street Armory. You know, McKee pulled the plug on plans to renovate that through a state project, but do you see Providence seeking some state money this year for that? I think that's the only way they're going to take it over. I mean, look, in effect, Brett Smiley has a little bit of leverage here, the mayor of Providence, because the state's paying for the, right now they're paying for all the maintenance. They have to spend a couple of million dollars a year. And he's like, look, we would like to take it off your hands, but it has to be a certain amount. I mean, there's no way he's going to take on a money pit without a little bit of funding I'm not convinced this is going to be the year with everything else going on that the Cranston Street Armory is going to be right up there in terms of priorities. But with the way the budget is and the money running out, if you don't do it this year, when are you going to do it? Good point. Steph, you've written about how the state judiciary is thinking of closing the Garahee Judicial Complex in Providence. It's the busiest courthouse in the state and replacing it with a brand new courthouse in Cranston. How much would that cost? Well, the initial ask was a whopping $400 million. It's now been revised to three fifty. This was not in the judiciary's budget proposal that they submitted in October, but a few weeks later, they had a private meeting with the House Speaker and Senate President at the courthouse on Benefit Street, and a number of judges asked them for this money privately, 
And it's a lot of money. And the argument is that the Garrahee Courthouse is outdated. It's falling apart. It doesn't have the – can't really sustain all the operations that go on there. It's the district court, the family court, um, et cetera. But – Building a brand new one in Cranston would not only be expensive, but also there's concerns about this courthouse leaving the city of Providence. Yeah, most cases are based in Providence, right? Right. All the criminal cases in Providence County go there first before they might make, if it's a felony, it makes its way up to Superior Court. And so, you know, the Mayor Smiley said he's against it leaving the city because of the economic impacts it would have, because of the thousands of people who go downtown to use this courthouse. There's also the access question. A lot of people who go to this courthouse do not have a car, and, and so it's easier to make it to downtown Providence than it is um, to Cranston. But um, the judiciary says they need a more modern building and all of that. So I think it's going to be interesting to see the pitch that they make when they publicly have to talk about this in the finance committees. That courthouse is an absolute dump, and I covered it. It reminded me of the old Kent County Courthouse, where if you're covering a trial, you get the 2 o'clock headache because yeah, the, yeah. the, the air circulation was so horrible. Here's the interesting sidebar. They just built a hugely expensive parking, parking garage, garage right next to yes, Garrahee. Now, yes. the Rhode Island Convention Center owns that and owns the bonds. They were, you know, like a landlord, you buy a three-story tenement, you're expecting income and inflow. The courts pay X number of dollars a month or year to retire that bond. So if they pull out to Cranston, the convention center is going to be like, who are they going to rent that to? Particularly, now I think people probably would pay for parking downtown, but, you know, with hybrid work, it's like a lot of restaurants aren't serving lunch anymore at noon. And Are you going to need they, all that they parking? They said they needed that garage for the courthouse. But that, you're right about that courthouse yeah. being uh, in a, not the best condition because wasn't it in the oh, headlines it's, it's recently for, uh, a couple years ago for bed bugs or something? If like you that? spend yeah. any time in that courthouse, it is depressing and it's, it's just overcrowded. That one of the one of the things that the judiciary said in their statement was families are having like custody. In the mediation hall. in the hallway, like there's just not enough rooms. So I don't. No one's talking about knocking it down and building in the same spot, which seems like should be on the table. So we'll see what happens with that. So I recently interviewed the co-chairs of the Rhode Island Black, Latino, Indigenous, Asian American, and Pacific Islander Caucus, and they called for changing the law that allows payday lenders to charge annualized interest rates of up to 260 percent for those short-term loans. You know, last session the House voted for it, the Senate didn't. So, Steph, do you think there's enough momentum? to pass that bill this year? Well, I don't know, but I think it is an election year where all of the representatives and senators will be up for re-election this fall. And I do think that's this is something that re might resonate with voters here, 260% interest rates. That just sounds predatory on its face. Obviously, this has not passed in the many years that it's been proposed and there's been pushback from the industry. So I'm not sure if it'll make it through, but if it's going to be a top priority for this caucus, it could be something that gets some more attention this year. The payday lender industry has Bill Murphy, former speaker, as their lobbyist. So that's been very powerful. They bring the people in to say it's predatory. And then they bring people in who say, I needed this as a bridge to get to my next paycheck or whatever. And even though the interest is high, I would have been in more trouble if I didn't have access to that money. 
Right, right. The caucus leaves also called for funding free breakfast and lunch for all public school children. Jim, tell us about that idea and its prospects. DOA. Joe Sicarci has no appetite for this at all. He said so publicly in one of the year-end reviews. It's $39 million, Ed. It's a lot of money, and quite frankly, I know some kids eat the lunch. Not everybody does. Maybe if this was two years ago and we had more money, once you make that decision, that's not going away. You have to fund that every year. $40 million is a lot of money. And what he argues is there are kids who absolutely need it now are getting the lunches, and that's being paid for by the federal government. Yeah, and I believe in districts where a certain percentage of the kids are low income, the federal government pays Already, for, for right. free lunch. Yeah. So we've talked about a lot of the high-profile issues the Assembly will be tackling this year. But what is one under-the-radar issue you'll be keeping an eye on in the months ahead? Steph. Well, I'm always keeping an eye on education, but something that I'm really interested in what's going to happen is with the dropping enrollment in our public school system. This is, you know, this is how school districts get get funding based on their enrollment numbers. And so I think we're going to see schools closing and consolidating. And, and we heard both the House and Senate leaders did not seem to have an appetite for continuing to give districts sort of this cushion, this extra money to make up for the fact that they had dropping enrollment. They did that during COVID, and they're not going to do that anymore. Do so. you think they shut the spigot off this year or next year? Ryan Pearson, the majority leader, said this year. So I, I think it might be shut off. I mean, we'll see if the districts, you know, we'll see what happens when people come and ask for money. Pearson talked about extra money for the multi-language learners in different yes, categories, they will but be, not yes, for the, for sure, not to make up for, for the For sure they will enrollment. expend more yeah. money for education in various categories, but not necessarily this hold harmless, we're going to give you an extra $20 million because you lost a lot of students right, last right, year. Right. And it all kind of goes back to the charter school conversation. The Senate tried to do a moratorium on expanding charter schools, and that failed. And that's where a lot of the students are going. Yeah, yeah. So that's big. That's a big problem for Providence. Yes, for sure. And Jim, what are you going to be keeping an eye on? Speaker Sicarci has asked his members to limit the number of bills they file. Really? And I will not hold my breath. He said it's not an order. But he said, I'd like to keep everybody. There are a lot of useless bills up there. Let's yeah, be, you yeah. know, you read through this stuff and it's like, really? And it'll never hit the light of day, but it's a huge waste of time. So I would love to go at the end of this session. Let's see how many got no prohibition on the Senate that we've heard of. Let's see how many have filed this year versus last year. Just, just something to keep an eye on. Good proposal. I move passage. <laughs> Second. <laughs> Jim, Steph, thank you for coming in. And again, Happy New Year. Happy New too. Year, Ed. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe in collaboration with Rhode Island PBS. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall with help from Carlos Munoz and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. Be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next week. Looking to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows? You need Rhode Island PBS Passport, Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. Watch them all anytime and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org passport. That's ripbs.org passport.